Welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Edward Russell, and I'm joined this week by my colleague, Jay Shabat, for our final episode of 2022, as we discuss the four stories that we'll be following closely in the new year. Enjoy. Happy holidays, Jay. How are you doing this week? I'm good, Ned. Happy holidays to you as well. A little bit more relaxed this week with uh, Airline Weekly taking its uh, usual uh, end of year pause. We'll be back uh, shortly after the new year. That's right. We will next be publishing on January 9th, 2023, after some uh, much earned rest over the Christmas and New Year's holiday. Jay, do you have any, are you traveling this year, hitting the skies? Not traveling, no. I will be uh, be here in uh, beautiful New Jersey. Well, you and me both. I'll be passing you on the New Jersey Turnpike on my way to New England, but that's about it. Very good. Yep. Uh, no travel for, for the airline guys, for the airline weekly guys this holiday. Nope, nope. Well, listeners, this week we decided to do something a little different for our final podcast of 2022. We're going to talk about the stories that we are following into 2023. Yeah, so uh, we each came up with a couple. Um, I decided to uh, pick uh, just two country markets that I think will be particularly interesting in the coming year. Uh, and I suppose we can say this about a lot of markets, but I, uh, I'll i do my first one and then we'll, we'll shoot it back to you, Ned, for for, for your thoughts and what you're looking looking for. But uh, the one that comes to mind, it's it's nothing particularly surprising, but China, because it's not only it's the second largest airline market in the world after the United States, but it's one that, of course, has been uh, largely closed for uh, the better part of three years now. It's kind of the right. last frontier in what's, you know, uh, in, the, in the pandemic era. That Absolutely. Hasn't and and Jay, I, I, just to jump in there. You know, yeah. it's it's a market that I have to say, you know, I have my eyes on too. I think the whole world does because it is, like you said, the second largest aviation market, and it's still all but closed off to the international airline, uh, you know, network. It's it's yeah, completely isolated. Yeah, and no, it's quite remarkable. And it's uh, yeah, it's a market that has uh, some some personal. I have a personal attachment too. I've lived in China for better part of three years, and uh, you know, flew a lot of the airlines there, and know the airports very well, and even did some consulting work over there for IATA in the past. And uh, so it's a market that I kind of generally watch closely for personal reasons. But of course, right now it's, uh, you know, just one that, uh, and let's remember, um, because it's such a large market, there are a lot of airlines in the world, a lot of uh, even economies around the world that uh, that were pretty dependent on China uh, before the pandemic. And that all kind of disappeared and there's just this big giant question mark of, you know, to what extent does that come back? Is is are those days? I mean, think about a country like Thailand, which, you know, something like, I don't know, is it 30% of their tourism uh is uh, you know, was uh tourists from China. And that's tourism is a very big part of their GDP over there. It's huge. So, I mean, I was just looking yeah. at Thai Air Asia's uh, sort of they didn't do an outlook, but they just put out a press with a few comments on 2023. And I mean, China was the first country they mentioned because literally, I mean, so much of their business, uh, Thai Air Asia's international business was based on Chinese travelers before the pandemic. So it's huge if it if it reopens as we're all kind of expecting it to. Yeah, very much. And then think about all the suppliers in the aviation ecosystem. I mean, everyone from Boeing and Airbus to, you know, just the software suppliers. And I mean, just, you just go down the list and uh, China was just a very, very big market. 
And uh, it's, you know, to the, if, if they come back uh, in, you know, to, if they, if they reach the same level of traffic volumes as they had in 2019, well, that becomes a very different scenario for a lot of these companies than if they only come back halfway or if, uh, you know, if international just stays closed for another two, three years. I mean, nothing's, you know, it's start, it's looking now because of show the reversal of their COVID policies over there, that things are starting to reawaken as far as, uh, you know, even some international traffic is starting to come back now. Uh, yeah, but, but my yeah. question is, is, is how does the geopolitical, uh, you know, landscape factor into all of this? You know, China remains aligned with Russia, which could be good for its airlines, uh, especially with Russia closed off to the rest of the world. But at the same time, you know, the U.S. and China are a little bit at odds. And I've, I've heard some from some sources that there might be China might may want to, may want to limit uh, air service uh, or renegotiate a new bilateral perchance um, between the U.S., which could limit flights in the future. I mean, this is all you know, nothing for sure at this point, but. There's still a lot of questions about what airline, you know, how the recovery will look for airlines going to China and, and will it return to pre-pandemic or will it look different? Yeah, so many questions. I mean, one thing about uh, the U.S.-China market, um, which you brought up, uh, the, the U.S. and Chinese economies are very closely intertwined. And, you know, anytime you walk into a Walmart or <laughs> just pick up any product on the shelf and it's chances are it's made in China. Um, your iPhone was made in China. Your, I mean, you can just go down the list. Uh, but the it's not a huge airline market. And for U.S. carriers in particular, China was never really that important. I mean, there was, you know, United might have had a Shanghai router from San Francisco or two that, you know, contributed material to their bottom, materially to their bottom line, but not a very huge market. Uh, however, to, you know, many other airlines around the world many other regions. Um, it was was very big. So yeah, just, you know, lots and lots of questions. And uh, hopefully we'll get some answers in 2023. Hopefully we will. That's right. And uh, yeah, Ned, you want to uh, share with our audience uh, something you're thinking about uh, for the year ahead? Yeah, so mine comes out of something that was a big story in 2022. And that is the operational distress that a lot of airlines Based and the the sort of challenges to the recovery in 2022. Now, you know, I'm in within this. I'm including the pilot shortage in the U.S., uh, European airport and ATC staffing, aircraft supply, sort of everything. But you know, I think some of it was foreseen as we went into this year, though some of it was not. I, I you know, the situation at the airports in Europe definitely took a lot of people by surprise. And I'm really watching to see if the situation eases uh, or how much it eases next year. And from what, you know, as I, as I speak to different airline executives and listen to their comments, it, it sounds like the U.S. is going to get a lot better, but not totally back. Whereas Europe is still going to have some issues. You know, I, I spoke to the CEO of KLM uh, last month and we spoke about that previously. But, you know, she said, really, the situation there is whether they can, if, if they're able to fully recover capacity at Schiphol Airport, which the government limited during the pandemic and limited this summer because of staffing. So there's just a lot of questions, and, and I'm going to be watching this really closely. Sure. And one corollary to that is what, uh, to what, ex you know, what happens with the aviation supply chain and shortages in general 
if there's a deep recession, does that create a situation where airlines are suddenly parking planes and laying off workers, and then you have a surplus of planes and workers and, and airport slots? And I, I don't know that, I mean, in fact, I kind of was fielding this question to some, uh, you know, people in the aviation space yesterday in the aircraft uh, manufacturing and leasing space yesterday. And kind of the general consensus is that the aircraft shortage uh, is it's for real. And uh, it's going to take a lot to, you know, really materially free things up. Um, but you just have to wonder, you know, it's um, I think there's this assumption that everything is going to be, you know, continue to be very tight in terms of some of the things that we you know that you that you name the aircraft, the the, the labor and airport space, uh, but but who knows? I mean, if if uh, you know, in twenty twenty two, most of twenty twenty two, anyway, demand was very very strong. So a lot of those you know resources are being utilized. Where you know what happens in twenty twenty three if there's a deep recession? I'm not saying that there will be. I mean, it's there's I could make the argument that <laughs> there there the, the economy might just you know be perfectly fine. Uh, and uh, just look at what's happening in oil prices, for example, which uh, in the U.S. is for sure is, is a big, uh, you know, can be a big stimulant to the economy. So no predictions there, but but it is worth asking, you know, what if what if there is a big recession? Absolutely. And we just got uh, there was a report out earlier this week by the Airport Council International's European Division, and they pushed back the full recovery of airports in Europe to 2019 passenger numbers uh, to 2025 from 2024. So that's it's by a year. And I was looking at the statements and, you know, they obviously did not want to name, you know, airport staffing as the primary reason was that you know, they represent airports, but they said due to a mix of determinants. And they mentioned industry supply issues referring broadly to, I'm guessing, staffing and aircraft, but also they mentioned you know, potential recession, high inflation, um, other costs that, that could hinder travel. So it's interesting to watch to see what happens you know and we also you know we spoke about this previously if china and asia significantly reopens it could be a flood of visitors from that part of the world to europe too like we saw this summer from the u.s so there's a lot of different moving parts in this that you know could fill up planes and you know make it a, a profitable year but maybe not as um yeah, a profitable year is one thing, but the supplies is going to be interesting. And that's something I'm really going to pay close attention to as we go into the 2023. Yeah. And I think the safer bet still is that supply, the supply side of the industry will be constrained, continue to be constrained. Um, I don't think that Boeing and Airbus are just, just as an example, will be able to, uh, or the engine makers for that matter, you know, will suddenly be able to produce, uh, you know, produce back to what they were in, you know, back in the heyday, but pre pre pandemic, uh, that said, uh, I, it's never safe. To, <laughs> it's never safe to make a, to say anything with certainty in the airline industry. So, um, it is, it is possible that, uh, things on the supply side may not be as tight as, uh, you know, some are expecting, particularly if there's a, you know, deep recession. Absolutely. But let's just hope that we don't have any of the sudden meltdowns at airports and the, the you know long waits for luggage and everything that we had this year. Fingers with that, crossed. Jay, let's, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with uh, the second things that we're both looking to watch in the new year. And we're back. So, Jay, what is that other country that you're watching closely in 2023? 
That other country is Mexico. And the reason why I chose Mexico is because uh, there is an incredible travel boom going on at some of these uh, beach markets in particular. Uh, and we saw it. Mexico, you might say, was the all-star airline market of the pandemic itself. If you go back to, let's say, you know, 2021, 2020 was, you know, not not really a nothing much going on anywhere from better part of 2020. But in 2021, when uh, even you know U.S. markets were still you know U.S. traffic was still a fraction of what it was pre-pandemic, uh, Mexico was doing very well, and a lot of that was U.S. citizens going down to uh, you know down to the beach markets like uh, Cancun, Acapulco, uh, Cabo. Uh, and the Mexican government um, decided to basically, they, they were very, um, restrictions were very limited, let's just say, as far as, you know, travel restrictions. They just weren't the same as they were in most countries. So that's one reason why people continue to travel there. And then you had for a while a rush of Mexican travelers that were traveling up to the United States to get vaccines. So when the the uh, mRNA vaccines first came out. Um, they came out in the United States first, and a lot of Mexicans came up to get their, you know, to get their shots. So there was just a lot of activity that was going on in Mexico that wasn't going on in other places. Now, right. amid all of this, you had Aero Mexico go bankrupt, and you had Interjet, which was sort of a fourth player. They disappeared. So you were left with a kind of a, a watered down Aero Mexico. Watered down is not a good, good, good adjective, but you know, like a slimmed down Aero Mexico that was restructuring. And then you had these two LCCs, Viva Aerobus and Volaris, and those two airlines were the fastest growing airlines in the world um, wow. in 2021, I believe. Um, you know, it depends on it's part of 2022 as well it depends on but they were they were just able to add so much capacity because of all the all the things that I just described both on the demand side and the supply side so mexico is left with the situation of you know 100 and some odd number of people in that country and just three airlines so um you that was that that's sort of uh, allowed those two lccs to grow and now even aeromexico is kind of getting back uh, back on its feet um, in this very favorable supply-demand balance. Uh, the Mexican government is not happy um, about this, and they're talking about possibly even allowing foreign airlines to compete domestically within Mexico, which is very, <clears throat> excuse me, very, very rare. Um, we saw it in Australia. There might be, I don't know if Ned, there might be one or two other markets out there, but very, very rare. Um, and they're even talking about start the government uh, allowing the military to start um, basically form another airline, which doesn't sound to me like such a great idea, such a wise idea uh, to have the military run a run a I mean, is it airline. ever a good idea to have a government run airline? I think uh, history shows that that's a poor choice, no matter what branch is the, uh, is the operator. The, the only exception I would make is in some of these places like Dubai and Singapore, where the government, you know, the country is very small. You don't have a lot of, you know, it's kind of easier to manage the politics. I mean, you know, Emirates and Singapore Airlines are two government-run airlines that are that very respectable. Right. And yeah, but but your but your broader point is absolutely correct. I mean, you know, Air India is not the poster child for a well-run airline. We'll see now that they're not government-owned if they can uh, 
you know, become a poster child for something. I don't know what, but yeah. Um, <laughs> the so, part of the Mexican yeah. the situation that I'm I'm paying close attention to, you know, within everything you've said is is the you know U.S. safety uh, category. It was downgraded in 2021 to Category Two by the FAA, and this is Mexico's safety regulator. And they need to up, they need to get upgraded to Category One in order for Mexican Airlines to resume their growth to the U.S. Now they can fly all the flights that they had prior to the downgrade. Um, you know, Viva uh, Valeris has grown uh, particularly because they've switched to larger aircraft, so they've been able to have seat growth. But you really uh, the future for I mean, so many airlines in that region. You know, they need that because the Mexico, the U.S. Mexico market is so huge. I mean, Valeris mentioned hundreds of potential new routes that they could add once once that changes. Um, Aeromexico can't expand its joint venture with Delta, which is a, an investor in Aeromexico. And Viva Aerobus wants to start a joint venture with Allegiant Air, which also can't start until it's upgraded. So, you know, while the story is overwhelmingly good for Mexican Airlines, there's uh, <laughs> that that, you know, downgrade alone just the faa safety category rating of mexico is such a big um you know inhibitor sort of of what they can do so yeah. that's something to watch closely next year as well right and another another kind of narrative uh that's that's very interesting in that market and uh i'll say you know with the um with this with the safety category rating downgrade um it's actually allowed the it's another reasons reason why the um, sort of three remaining airlines have been able to keep yields very high on those transborder routes because you're essentially not allowing any new capacity. Um, and the U.S. airlines, I believe, are allowed to add new capacity, but they just really haven't added much. And so is that correct? I think they are allowed to add. They're, they're um, allowed to add. The U.S. airlines can fly, can can grow. It's just the Mexican airlines that cannot. So. Yes. OK, so that's that's what I thought. But what and were we so, saying about constrained supply? That's good for airline yields. So U.S. airlines sitting there going, well, we've got plenty of places to fly our planes. Why grow to Mexico when we could just sit in what we have and the yields go up? I mean, yep. that's a sound business strategy to me. And we've Even got a pilot a shortage. Like <laughs> we, yeah, we've got an aircraft shortage. So why allocate those resources to Mexico where we're just, you know, <laughs> supplies constrained where the, the Mex you know, our Mexican rivals can't, uh, you know, steal any market share from us because of the safety rating thing. So let's just, uh, you know, sit on these fat yields. And uh, so it's a, you know, transport is a very lucrative market. And all of this in the context, we should add kind of a, you know, just to paint a broader picture here. Uh, there is a lot of, reshoring, nearshoring, you know, companies in the United States that are saying, you know, we don't really want to produce in China anymore because of, you know, the deteriorating geopolitical relations and also, you know, what happened to supply chains became very fragile during the pandemic. So maybe it's better if we just produce, uh, you know, closer to home in Mexico. So you see some of that. It's, it's the, you know, I've heard different uh, it's debatable, you know, to what extent that's really happening. Is it a, you know, kind of a widespread phenomenon? But but it's happening to, you know, to some degree for sure. So that, you know, could drive more air traffic. Um, maybe not in 2023. We might not see a meaningful, you know, impact from that. But certainly, you know, over the next five, 10 years and, and beyond, uh, that's an interesting phenomenon to watch as well. Just all the new investment that's going into Mexico um, in many cases by U.S. manufacturers. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Jay, let's get to my last topic before we sign off for the year. 
And, you know, the last thing that I'm watching, and I, I know you are as well, Jay, is, uh, you know, airline consolidation. We've written a ton about it in 2022 from JetBlue Spirit, Tata's acquiring Air India, you know, Abra in South America, the <laughs> myriad of deals that are in the works, but not finalized in Europe. There's just a ton going on out there. And, you know, I, I think we both think some of these deals will at least close in 2023. Right, right. And you mentioned uh, mentioned a few of them. There's uh, did you mention the Korean Air Asiana? Which is, I did uh, not mention Korean Air Asiana. Uh, doesn't yeah. that face a year-end deadline for approvals, or, or do you think it is? Am I wrong with that? Is that the approval from? I think it requires approval from a few different jurisdictions. Um, Korea, I don't know if Korea itself approved, but but in any case, um, it's something that's uh, you know that happened. It's been a while since it's happened. I mean, I think it's been more than a year now, right? And uh, did it? Was it twenty twenty that the, that that merger? I can't, yeah, can't that was announced date, early but... in the pandemic. I remember asking. Uh, Walter Cho, Korean Air CEO at IATA 2021 about the deal, and and he deflected comments and basically said it's pending approval. So, uh, but yeah, I I mean <laughs> every one of those deals requires regulatory approval, uh, you know, share you know, not necessarily shareholder approval, but there's just a lot of questions before anything happens. And I'm curious to see how many get done, which ones require, you know, divestitures or other conditions to be done. We saw already in Colombia, the regulator there is making Avianca and Viva Air, which is part of the Abra deal, uh, divest some of their slots, make some commitments to competition on some key routes. I think that's just a start. I think we're likely to see more of that. I look to Europe. If some of these big deals happen, you know, Tapir, Portugal, ITA Airways, um, Air Europa, you know, and then what does that mean for the smaller airlines like EasyJet, Ryanair, Volutia, Volutia, you know, can they pick up some of these slots that are divested? So there's still, I think, a lot of industry change coming. And I think some of that's going to start to manifest in 2023. Yeah, well, you're you're definitely right to be watching that. Uh, the, the merger space is definitely, as, as, you, as you just enumerated a bunch of uh, deals. I mean, there's just a lot going on. And, uh, you know, and then I should say the Spirit JetBlue deal here in the U.S. is uh, that's probably going to be a 2024 regulatory decision, but we may learn a lot in 2023. You know, we may I think have... we're going to get the first regulatory response in 2023. You know, mm-hmm. the DOJ is going to come out and say X, Y, Z. We, you know, aren't you know, this deal needs to do this, and then they're going to go back and talk, and then several months later, suddenly, oh, we've agreed to, you know. ABC. So I think that's what's going to happen. But yes, we're going to learn a lot more in 2023 is my expect- expectation. It's going to be a very interesting year, but I guess we we could say that about every year in the airline business. So um, nothing so unusual, true. but there's another, there's absolutely a lot to watch. And in some ways it's even, uh, you know, 2022 was a, turned out to be a pretty good year for most regions of the world airline wise. Um, certainly, you know, the U.S. airlines are you know, going to end, end the year on a good note. Um, 2020 and 2021, obviously, were, you know, very, very difficult years. So let's hope 2023 is a, is a good one for, uh, you know, we won't even just say airlines, but uh, the broad spectrum of uh, stakeholders in the business. And that includes consumers as well, air travelers as well, hoping for the best. And uh, I guess um, the last thing I'd have to say is, uh, you know, the thing that you probably... Watch most importantly every year is the price of fuel. There's nothing that uh, shapes the airline industry and its success more than that. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, we're, we're ending the year with uh, fuel prices falling rather dramatically from where they were in the middle of 2022. Uh, anyone's guess where they'll go uh, next year? It is interesting to hear sometimes uh, very common airline management teams, they'll, they'll say, well, if there's a recession, you know, a bad recession, well, then fuel prices will probably fall also because, you know, we're assuming that, the, you know, the aggregate demand in the economy is going to be low. So then people are going to Eh, I'm not sure that that correlation always holds, you know, <laughs> the uh, it's uh, we don't know. I mean, just fuel is just so super unpredictable. That's absolutely true. I don't think any of us saw the spike in fuel that happened in 2022 exactly. at the beginning of the year. And I am definitely not going to make any predictions for 2023 because I have no idea where it will go. But Jay, with that, I think we need to sign off for the year. It's always a pleasure. Uh, happy holidays to you and yours. And I echo those statements. Happy holidays to you, Ned, and to all of our listeners. And uh, see you, everybody, in the new year. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.